we're coming to a, a, a pivotal a pivotal chapter chapter 12 in, in the book of Revelation <coughs> concerning the woman the child and the dragon and I know I've been saying before this you know when we come to these different passages there's different interpretations and uh, controversy etc and it's especially true probably <laughs> from here on in um, but Revelation chapter 12 uh, has a lot of symbolism, symbolism in it and uh, but it is I think seen by most scholars anyway as, as a, a pivotal chapter in, in the book of Revelation and just to, to recap we've, we've gone through the introduction the initial revelation uh, that was given to, to John uh, from Jesus via the angel in Revelation chapter 1 John sees Jesus the risen Jesus the Alpha and the Omega um, we have the letter to the, the churches the seven churches chapter 2 chapter 3 we have John being brought up in chapter 4 to the throne room of God and, the, in the, and then the, the, the Lamb um, who is worthy to open the, 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 the seals it's the Lamb who was slain Jesus who was slain and then we have the seven seals and then we have the, the seven trumpets um, and the, the witnesses so that's where we are up until now and it is it is a bit hard to follow let's be honest it's a bit hard to follow um, <clears throat> but I think it's important that we don't overly complicate ourselves in in things like the sequence or the chronology there is a sequence there is a a timeline or there seems to be a timeline but it's not a hundred percent beginning to end if that makes sense um, and many people in many scholars would say that the book of Revelation and particularly the chapter we're going to look at is based on a, a sort of an ancient type of storytelling if you like um, an ancient type of literature called chi chiastic I hope I've got that word right chiastic c-h-i-a-s-t-i-c and essentially the simple terms chiastic it's like a it's like a sandwich right like a, a ham sandwich and so you have the beginning and the end and then in the middle you've got the the meat right and so what often happens in the, in the beginning it there's an initial telling of of the story in the end there's a retelling of it and then in the middle just kind of the the core the core message so some people say that revelation and a lot of revelation lends itself to this chiastic um form of of literature and I'll let, I'll let you judge it for yourself but certainly there seems to be some some truth to it and especially when we come to uh, this chapter uh, chapter 12 there are parallels in the beginning of the chapter with the end of the chapter um, so you can see sort of similarities in, in different topics in the beginning and similarities in, in the end and given 
you know, if, if, if we assume to some extent that that, that is true, it's, it's also interesting that in, in chapter 12, chapter 12 is essentially the middle of the book of Revelation. So there's definitely, a, it's definitely an important message here in chapter 12. Um, <clears throat> so we do well to, to take heed of it. Um, but as I say, let's not get too hung up on the, the sequencing of it all. And let's be more concerned about the meat of what is being said, the meat of what is being said. And when you, when you look at Re Revelation chapter 12, it will become obvious that it isn't all, the book of Revelation isn't all sequential. It couldn't possibly be all sequential. Now there are arguably some sequential mo um, parts to it, but then it also appears in some cases to kind of flip back to what they say, recapitulate or re retell the same story in, in, a, in a different um, guise, if you like. So there's, scholars will argue about this, but, but certainly in Revelation 12, there's, there's no argument that it's not a continuation of where we have been. So where we've been has been the, 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 the seals been opened and then the, the trumpets been blown. And we're not coming to the next point in the, in the story or in the narrative. Hope that makes, makes some sense. Hopefully it'll make more sense as we read it. Revelation chapter 12, verse one. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great fiery dra red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was, with, who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Amen. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now, when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. 
But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimonies of Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray uh, you would just help us to understand the truths that are relevant to us today from this um, passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I think a very good, um, I heard someone say a, a very good description of, of this chapter and the next couple of chapters is that they are a retelling of what was told in, in the previous chapters 4 to, 4 to 11 to some extent but rather focusing on the events of what happened these are focusing on the characters or the, the protagonists the key um, people or um, was people in a, in a symbolic sense, but you know the key, the key sort of factions um, that are are interacting at this time. And in particularly, we have here the woman, the child, and the dragon. And further in the further chapters, uh, we'll be introduced to the beast and the false prophet. So immediately the question is, who is the woman, who is the child, who is the dragon? Well, we know straight away who the dragon is, because the scripture, uh, the passage tells us. He is that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So there's no ambiguity there whatsoever. He is Satan, a serpent of old. And we know that the if you like, the, the cosmic or the eternal battle of good and evil between God and, and Satan goes right back to Genesis chapter 3. And in a sense, it's the woman who's also involved here. we look at verse 14 so the Lord said to the serpent because you have done this you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel so we know ultimately 
his head was bruised by Jesus on the cross. So we know who we know who the, we know who the devil the the dragon is. He's a, he's the devil. He's Satan. There's no um, argument about that. It, it's very clear, and and the passage itself interprets that. The passage does not, however, explicitly say who the child is or who the the woman is, and this is where we really do. Um, need to again know our scripture we don't need to know it inside out but we we need to know our scripture we need to know um, our old testament as well with regards to the woman uh, sorry even just before i say that i think i read there was something like 450 verses in in revelation and in those 450 verses there are 500 500 references to the Old Testament. 500. Okay, so you really cannot understand the book of Revelation in any way. It's hard enough at the best of times, but in any way you cannot understand it if you don't understand um, or are familiar with um, the Old Testament. So who is this woman? Well, there have been different views. Some say Mary. Some say the church. And some say Israel. Okay. And if we look at the first verse, we see the woman was clothed with the sun, with the moon, under her feet, and on her head had a garland of 12 stars. I think most people would agree, who are familiar with the scriptures, that in the first instance, the woman it represents Israel. Now, I know some people do say the woman is the church, but when you look at the description, where do we see the sun, moon, and 12 stars in Scripture? We see it in Genesis. When Joseph has a dream about his uh, mother, father, and the, uh, his 11 brothers bowing down to him. Okay? So it was 11 stars in that case, but obviously Joseph would have been the 12th star. And I submit to you that's the, probably the most obvious interpretation of it. Being with child, she cried out in labor, in pain, to give birth. So who did she give birth to? She bore a male child, in verse 5, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So again, there's a bit of, a bit of controversy about this, or a bit of dispute about this. Um, <clears throat> some say it's a pre-raptured church, or the, sorry, a pre-tribulation raptured church. Um, but I don't know about you, but certainly when I first read it, my first instinct who did this relate to jesus so if jesus came from from israel uh, came from uh, from the from the jews and he it says in in, in sam sam chapter 2 
Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give your inheritance, the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Who is that talking about? Ultimately, it's talking about the Messiah. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So there's a reference there to that messianic prophecy that he shall rule with a rod of iron. And again, just to point out, I don't believe that Jesus will actually have a physical rod of iron. Or he has a physical rod of iron. But it is a symbol. Okay? And so it's very, we need to be aware that there's, there's so many symbols in this. And when we flip over to literal interpretations, we have to make sure there's a good justification for doing that. Now, you know, prophecy does, in, in the Old Testament, and it does have, you know, it does flip that, you know, between imagery and symbolism and, and actual um, specific prophecies, some of which are, don't become obvious until, until they actually happen. But again, I think it's, it's fairly clear here uh, that Jesus is um, the child who was caught up to, uh, to God and his throne. And another reason we, we see that is before the woman was ready to give birth, uh, sorry, the, <clears throat> the dragon, uh, who had seven heads, ten horns and seven diadems, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. So most scholars believe that to be Satan falling from heaven with, with the fallen angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to, to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So again, we know when Jesus was born, um, you know, Satan put it into the mind of, of, of Herod to annihilate all the, um, the firstborn of, of Israel. And, and we hear of Ra Ra Rachel weeping over her children. So it's all very, very consistent with that. This is a woman who fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God and they should feed her 1,260 days. So an obvious reference here is, you know, Israel went into the wilderness. They didn't go in for, for, for 1,260 days. But there is an analogy there of, of Israel and uh, the woman going into the wilderness. When that, that actually happens, I think it's actually, you know, it's one of these ones that's open to debate. Is that part of the, the half of the, the tribulation, three and a half years of the tribulation? The time, time is in half a time, the 42, 42 months, these different variations of the same length of time because it appears so often in Revelation and it appears in the book of Daniel, is suggested that it probably is a literal event that happens. So it appears that the woman is, flees from the persecution of Satan. 
And yet, in, in this passage here, it happens just after Jesus goes up um, to, to the throne, to caught up to God and his throne. So again, it's not 100% you know, straight, one thing happens after the other. So we need to be, just, just be careful in how we, how we interpret it. And verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So some would argue that it is this passage here, which is a central passage. So if we just hold the meat here for a second, and when we flip to the, um, the next passage, <clears throat> then I heard a loud voice, sorry, uh, verse 13, now the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, persecuted, the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. So again, we see the wilderness, the woman giving birth to a male child, and she is nourished for times, time, times, and half time from this, the presence of the serpent. So it's a direct parallel to what happened in the beginning of, of the chapter or the, the beginning of the passage, should I say, not the chapter. Um, so it seems to be a, a retelling uh, of the same story, sort of the bread, if you like, within um, w of, of the sandwich. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth up opened its mouth, swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of our offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So who are the rest of the offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimonies of Jesus Christ? I submit to you, it's the church, all true believers. So you have the woman, she gives birth to the child, Jesus, and then the offspring, the offspring are those who are, are the seed of, of Jesus, the seed of Abraham, if you like. And so Satan is raging war, both against uh, the Jews or the, the nation of Israel at the time, right up until the birth of Jesus. So we know um, even before uh, Jesus was born, we have uh, the different empires who would have raged against the nation of Israel, against the Jews. And we've seen it afterwards, right up until now, how the, the Jewish people have been persecuted. The Holocaust is the obvious one, the pogroms, the, the Spanish Inquisition, Right down through the ages, Satan has had it in for Israel, had it in for the Jewish people. And many people believe that is specifically because they have a role in, in, in uh, the fulfillment of the return of Jesus. But in addition to that, he makes war with the rest of our offspring. So the, other, the rest of the offspring of of the woman are we we are if you like the spiritual israel um who keep the who keep the commandments of god and have the testimony of jesus christ 
So that kind of gives it away. <laughs> those who believe in God, those who believe in Jesus and follow him. So as I said, it's, it's a, a retelling, if you like, of what has happened from almost before Jesus was born, to when he was born, and then uh, to what has happened to the nation, or the people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and Christians thereafter. Okay? And then there's this reference to the 1,200 and... 60 days or 42 months or times, should I say times time, time times and a half a time, three and a half years, which may be a specific reference to the tribulation. Is it one or is it the other? It, you know, it, potentially it could be talking about the whole history of the church and the tribulation being a, a heightened example of that or you know it may be specifically about the tribulation it's hard to know but what's as I say what we want to focus in on is the key message here and, and that is one that Satan has it in for those who love God he has it in for those who love God his time is short and so he's up in the ante and we can see that uh, we can see that today. We, we've seen it in, in, in obviously in the persecution of, of the Jews, but we see it in the persecution uh, of, of Christians. And um, I'd encourage anyone after the service to pick up one of these church in chains, which speaks specifically about the different um, Christians throughout the world, I suppose the non-Western world who are being persecuted for their faith as we speak. And it, it gives the, the story of, of different people that you can pray for. So it's a real, a very real um, issue at the moment. So we know that, that Satan, there is um, an acknowledgement that Satan is going to, has done, and, and is currently persecuting the church. It's interesting that Michael, it is Michael and the, Michael and the angels who fight against the dragon. Michael in, da, in Daniel is identified as the prince, who is de, the, the, the prince or chief angel who is designated to the nation of Israel. So certainly some of this persecution falls upon uh, the people of Israel. But also, as it says, when, when, when Satan was he's kind of had enough persecuting the, the Israelites or the, or the Jews he moves to the seed of the woman the offspring of the women a woman who are those who uh, believe in God or who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ so I what I wanted to focus on was as I said the meat So it goes from 7 to, verses 7 to 12. So just bear with me now. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. 
he was cast out of the earth, cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ has come, have come, for the accuser of our brethren, accuser of, the, of our brethren, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. So again, there's, there's so much debate. Is, when is the devil falling to earth? Is it, did he fall to earth when the beginning of time? Did he fall to earth when Jesus defeated him on the cross? Did he fall to earth? Is it during the Great Tribulation? And um, again, I don't think we need to get too caught up on it. And I, and I don't think the scripture is 100% clear on it. You know, when God told John to write down what he saw, he didn't tell him to interpret what he saw. You, you see in the book of Daniel, there's a lot of interpretation of what the vision was. In the book of Revelation, it's just more or less given. This is... This is it now, and it's kind of relying on your understanding, one, of the Old Testament. Uh, but two, also, I think there is a certain element that we won't know until it all happens. Okay? And to some extent, we don't, we don't need to know everything now. But when, we ha when it happens, we'll know it. We'll see it, because it says it's written there. We'll understand it. But the point is, there is no doubt that the devil is... The prince of this world so he is active roaring like a lion seeking whom he can to devour so in a very real sense the devil is on the earth at the moment as are his minions i don't need to convince you of that and he is seeking to persecute the church What I want to focus on is verse 11. We know he's the accuser. He's accusing uh, the brethren day and night before God. But the scripture here speaks of those who overcame. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. So there's three aspects how they overcame. <clears throat> testimony, their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and they did not love their lives to death. The theme of overcoming is one of the key themes in the book of Revelation. One of the key themes. Remember the context. They are being persecuted. The, uh, the Christians, the Jews, believing Jews in, in Asia Minor are being persecuted both by the Romans and by the Jews who don't believe in Jesus. They're being squeezed to conform 
to the world in order to, to, to prosper. And many are probably struggling with, with doubt, wondering, you know, did we, did, we, did we back the wrong horse? You know, was Jesus really the Messiah or, or was it somebody else? And so th this uh, revelation to John is given to the churches to encourage them in this hardship. And in each letter that's given to the church, uh, there was a promise to those who overcome. To those who overcome. So it's a key theme. It's, it, the, the theme of overcoming, or the, or the word overcoming, is mentioned 13 times. Overcome is mentioned 13 times in the book of Revelation. And it has three components. The blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. So I just want to focus on each of those three components shortly. So the blood of the Lamb, or the Lamb, the term the Lamb is mentioned outside of Revelation in the New Testament. The Lamb is mentioned only seven times. The word Lamb. In the Old Testament, obviously, the Lamb is everywhere. There must be about a hundred references to the Lamb. And we know the Lamb from the story of the Exodus, the Passover Lamb. Uh, the, the blood of the Lamb was applied uh, to the doorposts and they were saved. And there's many parallels between Exodus, the Israelites coming out of um, Egypt, and Revelation. The plagues, um, the, the Pharaoh, if you like, is the anal analogy of, of an antichrist. Um, but the, the plagues, the judgment, but the protection of the saints. The protection of the Israelites, the protection of the saints. But the Lamb itself is a huge, huge theme, one of the main themes of the book of Revelation. Who is worthy to open the seals? The Lamb who was slain. Okay, so... Seven times in the New Testament it's mentioned outside of um, Revelation. In Revelation, it's 31 times. So it's very important that we, we see that one of the key messages in Revelation is the victory of the Lamb. The victory of the Lamb. Though uh, the world might seem to have the victory, though the devil might seem to have the victory in terms of persecution, the ultimate victory comes from the Lamb who was slain. John chapter 1, 29, John the Baptist says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world. So that the Lamb is taking away the sins of the world. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about the Lamb who washed us from our sins in his blood. Revelation 5. Verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, had seven horns, seven spirits, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll 
at his right hand to him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and the gold bo golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Then verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. So he has redeemed us. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has redeemed us. It is not our righteousness, as it says in Romans chapter 3, for we have sinned, uh, for, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's the, it's the blood of Jesus which saves us. So that's the first way that we overcome the world. It's the blood of the Lamb. Not anything that we do. It is the victory of Jesus. The victory of Jesus. So when Satan accuses you of X, Y, and Z, claim the blood of Jesus. Don't claim what you've done. Hold on to the promises. Hold on to the promise. Jesus is alive. He has done it. Worthy is the Lamb. And so much of Revelation is about this conflict between the forces of evil, Satan, and God. And the victory comes via a Lamb. And those who believe in God, believe in Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelation chapter one, chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-seven. So that's the that's the first key. That's the basis on which the saints overcome. It's not by might. It's not by power. They don't struggle to, to try and defeat the Roman army or whatever today. Whatever our persecution we think is is here or what persecution is coming it's not the government we don't try and defeat the government or argument it's the blood of the lamb we have the victory because of the blood of the lamb of jesus lamb of god who is jesus the second way we overcome is the testimony they came, overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What does the word of their testimony <coughs> mean? Revelation 1.9, John himself was on the island of Patmos. Why? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was preaching the gospel. He was declaring what God had done and Jesus had done in his life and what he had done on the cross. That's why he was being persecuted. So it's kind of ironic, isn't it? That in this time of persecution, one of the reasons you're getting persecuted in that you're spreading the gospel that's one of the reasons that you're overcoming. You're actually overcoming. So it's an it's a upside-down kingdom. Okay? So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. We see in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, 
I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had held. So overcoming the world or overcoming persecution does not mean you won't die. These are the saints who died because they declared the word of God, because they preached the gospel. Revelation 20, verse 4, a more graphic description. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. So again, these overcomers are being beheaded for, sh for spreading the word, sharing the word of God. So it's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it, that you overcome. One of the, one of the pillars of how you overcome leads to your, um, leads to your execution. And that leads to the last pillar of how to overcome. That you, we do not love our lives even unto death. So we see these saints, they were so sold out for God that they were, they were willing to give up their lives. <coughs> One theme in which appears in all the four Gospels is when Jesus says about how to save your life. Whoever wants to save his life in Mark 8.35 must, will lose it for my sake. And whoever loses his life for my sake Mark Second Mark eight thirty five. Mark eight thirty five. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it for the sake of the gospel. For what profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For what, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation of him, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 116. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are we ashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, Greek being those who are not Jews. So we see kind of a parallel again with Revelation 12, the, the, the woman and then the offspring. Um, he was not ashamed of the gospel, even though the implications were that their life, his life would be lost. He would be at persecution. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. So the reality, what's the reality in our lives? I mean, do we, have we loved our lives, loved our lives or do we love, not love our lives, do we love the gospel and we're willing to um, give up our lives? Why do we love our lives so much? I think if we're honest, we probably do love our lives quite a lot. And the thoughts of losing everything for the gospel um, doesn't fill us with a lot of joy. We need a vision of heaven and of Jesus. We need to understand what Jesus has done for us. The blood of the Lamb, what the blood of the Lamb has done for us. Then we will want to tell people. We need a vision of heaven. Revelation is a vision of heaven. It was to encourage the church, don't give up. Look, this is what is ultimately going to happen. Um, good will triumph over evil. God will triumph over Satan. And every tear will be wiped away. We need to not just understand that in, in theory, but we need to believe it. We need to understand the power of the blood of the Lamb. That will inspire us to preach the gospel. Jesus Endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. For the joy. And that joy wasn't just going to heaven, although that was a great joy to be with his father. He'd left, but he had left heaven. So it wasn't just heaven. It was for his inheritance. And if we really want to be overcomers, we need to have that vision that joy set before us. And we can't do that until we fully understand what Jesus has done for us and then make that decision that that is worth everything. It is worth everything. What he has done for us, obviously he has paid for our sins on the cross, but he has provided us with an eternal hope, eternal future. Finally, Jesus says, <clears throat> Jesus says that <clears throat> anyone who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Not be hurt. So yes, persecution, and persecution for us is likely to increase. I think we can agree on that. But he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death, the eternal death. He overcomes all things 
will be given to him. Sorry, I will be his, he who overcomes in Revelation 21, 7, I will be his God and he will be my son. Jesus himself anticipated that we would have tribulation. You will be scattered, he said to the disciples. But his implication is for us, you will have tribulation, but fear not for I have overcome the world. Jesus has already overcome the world. John in 1 John 5 says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And, the vic and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our fate. Who is he that overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is God. We need to fully understand Jesus, the reality that Jesus is God, what he has done on the cross for us. That will cause us to want to share the gospel. I know myself, one of the things I find hardest is sharing the gospel. We need, we need to do that, but we can't do that just purely out of guilt. We need to know and understand in our hearts what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And the book of Revelation really opens that up, what Jesus has done, and the ultimate victory, it says in, in Revelation 17, that they will make war with the Lamb, and he will overcome them. They will make war with the Lamb, and he will overcome them. Come then. So no matter what you're going through at the moment, are you, you know, whether it's you're being accused by the brethren for your sin, by being accused by the devil for your sin, if you feel that you haven't anything to give in terms of uh, the gospel, if you feel you're, over, you're overcome at the moment by trials and tribulations, Jesus wants to encourage you. He says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. We need to focus on Jesus, focus on the cross, what he has done. We can only do that when we spend time with him, read his word, and, and pray to him. Can't encourage you enough to do that. But if we do that, he gives us a great reward to those who overcome. Father, I thank you for your, your word, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for, um, you know, not, not fully preaching your word. But, Lord, where, where your word has uh, been relevant, Lord, I, I really pray that the, uh, the birds of the air will not snatch it, Lord. The cares of this world, Lord, uh, will, not, will not strangle it, Lord, but that your word will bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.